Welcome to Neighborly, the homeowner's coven, house number 30, Little Street. The driveway into house number 30 is nice and spacious, and accommodated the small convoy of vehicles with plenty of room to spare for the practical family sedan and the opaque white van that pulled in behind it, emblazoned with the logo from McAdams Butchers. Sam hopped out of the driver's seat just as Dorothy, Robert, and Agatha climbed out of the car in front. I'm going to have to bring the van around back. Would you be able to move? Dorothy regarded her carefully before breaking into a friendly smile. Of course. In fact, I'll locate the owners of the other vehicles in your way and ask them to move as well, once we're indoors. Sam nodded curtly, then froze as the McInerney's headed inside. She shouldn't go in empty-handed. As the caterer, that would be very odd. She skulked around before getting back into the van and moving it out to the footpath when a number of people waved at her and started up their cars. Eventually, she got around to the back of the house. Then she hesitated again, running her fingers through her hair. It was too early to bring in the food. It would take up a lot of room, and would probably be very distracting for everyone inside. She settled for the small cake box full of mason jars, which clinked against each other as she carried them. She knocked on the back door, and Kira opened it. She beamed. Welcome! So glad you could make it. Oh, what do you have? Smells wonderful. Blood, Sam said. Right, yes. Well... Kira took the box and stepped inside, leaving it on the counter in the back hall next to some desserts that would be mush by the end of the night. No, I mean, I stole this. From a blood bank. I mean, no one died for this. Oh, exciting, she cooed distractedly. Sam took her hand. What's wrong? she asked. Kira let out a shaky laugh. Nothing, it's nothing. It's just starting to seem a bit too... real. I'm sure it'll be fine. Another sigh, replaced by a bright smile. You're right. Now, get in there. We don't know each other, remember? Unless Dorothy heard us talking back at mine, Sam didn't reply. She went in. She didn't expect Kira to have a dining room, but she did. It was comfortably accommodating about two dozen bodies chatting away. Sam caught fragments of a wistful conversation Dorothy was having. And I do so miss how charming it was, setting the table for guests and having them eat off glowing plates, drink from glowing glasses. How novel. I wonder why they stopped making them. It was made of uranium? I know. So charming. What a shame. I suppose I'll never understand it. While scanning the room, Sam spotted someone who looked extremely nervous almost as though he was the one about to be pulled out of the back of her van. His eyes kept shifting to the man he was sitting beside, who looked to all the world like he had spent his whole life in this room and was bored of it. He was on the short side, but large, and had a presence that extended beyond himself. Sam noticed that she and his companion were not the only ones stealing glances at him. He drank Club Orange out of a wine glass while the rest of the guests left their drinks untouched. Mortal then, and not the least bit concerned with hiding it. Sam? 
Oh, Dorothy was calling her. She was caught entertaining like a spider queen webbed with courtly admirers. Everyone, you know our local butcher, don't you? And indeed, the party nodded in familiarity. Sam recognized them all, though not by name, and it shook her that she could know them, but not know them. Oh, but you probably don't know her set of talents for sourcing just the most fascinating meals. We must discuss your methods sometime, but later. Could you fetch Agatha for me, please? Robert's gone upstairs, and she's wandered off somewhere. Uh, sure. Where would she have gotten to? Dorothy huffed. Gone to stare into space down at the front wall, no doubt. As bad habits go, it has got to be the strangest. Go and fetch her for me, would you? Everyone wants to meet her. Sam nodded and went out the front door. It didn't take a detective to find Agatha. She was right where Dorothy thought she would be, standing with her back to the house, completely still, her head held firm aloft, though her posture was that of one fascinated by flooring. Sam came up behind her. Hey. Her gaze did not waver. It was like she was staring at something across the road. Hi. Sam let the silence curl up and get comfortable in the air between them. It was clear that Agatha had changed. The young woman who she knew to be sullen, shrug shoulders, who spoke in churlish barks and growls had melted into melancholy, the tension in her keeping about as well as a knot in a rope made of water. Her despair, her hopelessness so vast that any polite smile that might ripple the surface made no excursions deeper than her facade. It was the kind of misery that deserves the reverence of silence. And so Sam did not speak before Agatha did. I'm sorry, she said. Sam waited for her to continue, and she seemed like she was going to, but she choked on whatever she was going to say next and had to recenter herself before speaking again. I suppose I have forever to be sorry about it. It's not your fault, Sam managed, even though she wanted very badly to blame Agatha for what had happened to Dale, even though she wanted to yell and attack her in grief. She knew that it would not help. And it seemed to her that if she had, Agatha would have stood there and taken it, not put up any defense. And even so, Sam would have probably shattered her wrist or something in the process. Yeah, fault. <laughs> I guess not. She chewed on her lip in a way that indicated that she was used to pulling dry skin off her lips with her teeth, but there was nothing loose on her lips and never would be again. My mother told me her story, about what happened when she, you know. Apparently it's just the way it is. I mean, no offense, but if your mom said anything, it's probably horseshit. Agatha snorted. Sam's lips twitched into a momentary smile. Like... I don't blame you, but I don't think there's nothing that can be done, either. Agatha's brow furrowed. She still didn't look at Sam. What if there's a better way? That doesn't cost lives, so that if anyone wants to be anything, they can, and no one has to die. There was a small pause. No, Agatha shook her head. No, I don't know about that. What, you don't think it's possible? Because I know you don't like how it is. Yeah, it, it's terrible, but it doesn't feel like it matters, I guess. Like, this is so much bigger than us, any of us. The suffering, it's not preventable because it benefits someone, someone powerful. It's for the gain of someone that all this happens. 
Yeah, but that can be changed. People can work together and stop things like that from happening, make things better for, for everyone. But Agatha was already shaking her head, brow furrowed, eyes still fixed in place looking across the road. Your mom is looking for you anyway. Better come back inside. She nodded and went in with barely a flutter of hesitation. Sam paused a moment after her, looking for herself across the road. She didn't understand what was so interesting. She squinted, lingering for a moment, even planting her feet right where Agatha's had been. She persisted through the thoughts that this was silly, that she should head back in, they would need her soon, and kept staring, staring hard across the road. And for a moment, she thought she could almost see... Then a loud noise came back from the house, a shout, and the clatter of vehicular metal and cursing. She ran around the back. Kira was holding the van door shut. What's going on? I don't know. I took out one of them fine, but I think the other one might have gotten out. Why didn't you wait for me? Dorothy, she's getting real snippy and <clears throat> passive-aggressive. I can't stand that kind of thing. And of course the others got in on it, so I figured they must be getting hungry. Did you put out the blood? No, I... Ah, I had that. What, all of it? The door swung open and hit Kira in the face in a way that would have knocked Sam out cold, but only seemed to irritate her. The dinner tried to run, but Sam grabbed him in a headlock and managed to lift him into the van and wrestle him back into the cage. The other one, in the other cage, was also awake and shivering in shock. He was unusually waifish, and you'd expect him not to make a decent meal, but Dorothy was always very specific in her orders. Sam swallowed down vomit, thinking about it. About what she had done and what she was about to do. As she had so many times before. She wanted to say it didn't get easier, but that was a lie. It didn't get less repulsive, but the disgust got easier and easier to swallow. The brave face ever more simple to arrange. Between herself and Kira, they carried the cage into the house. The moaning became audible when they left it down outside the dining room. Kira opened the door. The room was much fuller now. Whatever coterie Robert had been a part of upstairs appeared to have joined the main party. Oh, Mr. Irving, we are about to have dinner. If you would like to leave for the duration, there are plenty of places around my home you might find entertainment to pass this time. Kira gestured vaguely with her free hand, distracted by the sweaty, shivering amuse-bouche she helped carry. The bored-looking man raised an eyebrow. I'll stay, if it's all the same to you. Of course, Kira's voice jumped in pitch. Certainly, whatever's most comfortable. She bent down and lifted her end of the cage, and Sam got on the other side. The weak howl of protest from within it raised the anticipation of the room considerably. Posture, ears, eyes, all perked up. The pair of them pushed the cage onto the extended dining table, pushed it in at the corner in front of Dorothy, who, naturally, was sitting at the head. Dorothy smiled. Wonderful. What a lovely spread. All that remains now is to carve it. She opened the cage. Sam tensed, expecting the victim to run, but he stayed, a sniveling mess. Maybe he didn't fully realize what was happening. Shh, it's alright, it's alright. Even as she was reassuring him, Dorothy's jaw was dropping and unsheathing, extending, as though there were more joints to it hidden in her skull that were now unfurling, stretching her mouth wider and wider until Sam could see all of her teeth. Not just the front ones, but the thinner row behind too, and the yet thinner row behind that, and the row behind that. They were still short, giving the roof of her mouth a rough appearance, but Sam knew they would come last and quickest. 
Dorothy leaned over, at the same time pulling the dinner by his shoulders and resting his head in her mouth. Then, the hundreds of needles in her mouth snapped down, at the same time her jaw snapped up, and there was a crunch. Her mouth was back to its normal size, with no trace of her meal. She dabbed at her lips with a napkin. Delicious. My compliments to the chef, she winked at Sam. Then she shoved the rest of the body to glide across the table, shattering plates as it went, where it was caught by the rest of the party who, with the exception of Kira and Agatha, annihilated it. There was no trace of it within a minute, excepting the trail of blood from the bare neck, which they were lazily swiping through with their fingers and licking. The other mortal, who Kira had identified as Mr. Irving, sat back and looked on, thoroughly unimpressed. The other food, the dishes they were not going to eat, were brought out next. Sam came to understand that these dishes were purely conversational. Finally, they had come to the meat of the evening. A number of volunteers helped Kira with the table setting for this second meal. Among them were Sam, Agatha, and Irving. Their conversation was limited to direction from Kira about where to put what, even though Sam was burning with questions for all three of them, particularly Irving, who was a stranger and an object of great curiosity for everyone in attendance. But she also did not fully grasp the specifics of Kira's plan. What was she going to say to Dorothy? Did she have some kind of leverage? Some sort of smoking gun to make her comply? And if so, what was it? She wanted to ask, to be given a briefing or a course of action, it was not a small bit frustrating to feel so out of the loop. Why had Kira contacted her in the first place if she wasn't going to share her plan? Just for moral support? Kira handed Sam two of the last three dishes to go out. Irving and Agatha were nowhere to be seen. Kira offered a tight smile. Here we go. The new setup in the dining room appeared as though the first course had never happened. It was pristine, with new plates, new cutlery, a new tablecloth, and a new centerpiece an abstract-looking pile of metal and concrete orbs. The dinner guests were unruffled, unbothered, and chatted to each other amicably, reducing the delightfully plated meals to digested mush with only their knives and forks as they talked. Kira took her place at Dorothy's right side, and Sam sat at Kira's right side, eager to listen in. Dorothy was placating a rather irate guest who sat around halfway down the table. We really should do something about the potholes around number 22, I agreed. I have great distaste for those among our residents who won't take care of their facades. It's inconsiderate, I swear. It's like their ugliness spreads out and damages the tarmacadam. People who live further in have to drive by all the time for work. That's why I make sure my garden looks at all times pristine. We're even getting our exterior repainted soon. It's only neighborly. So true, Dorothy. It is very important to consider all our neighbors. Dorothy's head turned and bore her eyes into Kira. Her easy smile appeared for a moment, tightly strained. And then she relaxed. Oh, Kira, she tutted, I am not interested in having this debate with you again. What debate? Kira asked, innocent. Do you disagree that it is important to be considerate and be neighborly to all of our neighbors? I don't disagree on that. But I have found through our little discussions that our definitions of neighborly, and indeed our definitions of neighbors, tend to differ. I just think that we, as vampires, can... Ugh, I detest that word. It calls to mind drafty candlelit crypts where dusty old men leer at innocent young women and beguile them into some kind of hedonistic undeath. If you ask me, we're due for rebranding. We are far more civilized than that and always have been. Then let's prove it. 
We can do better, I know we can. If you're looking for a rebranding, then why not reform as well? Less fatality. Improve how we conduct ourselves. Dorothy scoffed. Improve? Improve how? Shall we stand at street corners giving out free ice cream? Should the flock adore the sheepdog, would they offer it slices of mutton politely? We are the reason our town is a nice town, and our people are nice people. What you are proposing jeopardizes the mortal way of life as much, if not more, than ours. We are doing them a favor, culling the rabble. And furthermore, your proposal betrays a mindset perpetuated by their idea of us, that we are insatiable, vicious beasts that kill with impunity, which, as you know, is not true. Regarding our neighbors, you know that I have gone to great lengths to source for all parties present fodder originating well beyond our little community. At great personal restraint, I might add. Have you any notion of the power that exists behind those doors? Each one represents a rare and delectable feast, and you know before settling I had the most uproarious of tastes. But we are civilized here. We do not feed on any of our neighbors. Sam knew this, of course. It was a strict stipulation of her employment with Dorothy that she search only outside of an imagined perimeter for victims. But to hear her use it in their argument, as though there were no one dying simply because it was no one she knew, raised Sam's hackles a considerable amount. She remembered that she had lived with Dale in an area that Dorothy had approved as a hunting ground. Her fists clenched. And the infected, it's not that our system is perfect. And it's not that I don't feel sorry for them, of course I do, I have a heart. It's just that, quite frankly, their suffering, all of their suffering, is required for the continuation of our way of life. And that's a sacrifice I am more than willing to accept. That silenced the topic for a while, and in the aftermath Agatha returned to the room, followed by Mr. Irving, who was finally expressing an emotion other than boredom, though Sam still found it rather difficult to read. It was almost as though he were lost in thought chewing something over that had been entirely unexpected. Sam desperately wanted to ask him what was on his mind, if only to shake the fury rolling off her in waves, the heat of which she imagined Dorothy would be able to physically feel as she returned to her conversation about potholes. It was all she could do to remain quiet, focus on her breathing, and breathe until it was time for the second edible course. As expected, the second dinner was a fighter, he was shouting for help, and Sam considered opening the cage to wrestle a gag into his mouth, but the thought was so distasteful to her that she elected to just get him inside as quickly as possible. She and Kira almost ran, holding either end of the cage into the house. They burst through into the dining room, but Sam lost her grip on her side, and as it fell, the wire mesh door sprung open and dinner struggled out. There was a moment where he stared around at them, and they stared back, everyone slack-jawed at this outcome. and then. Before anyone else could gather themselves, he bolted down the hall and out the front door. The dinner party started laughing. Dorothy joined in, her harsh laughter scraping the others to shreds of silence. Oh, Sam dear, she began, reaching over and retrieving one of the orbs from the centerpiece as though it were paper and not solid steel. Go out and fetch that, and bring him back to us, won't you? She clenched her fingers, the orb crumpled. Her eyes and smile were pulled out wide. If not, I will simply <laughs> pick up your skull. And that would be rather messy, I think. I wouldn't like it to come to that. It would ruin my manicure. Sam's blood ran cold. She swallowed. Agatha took the crushed orb out of her mother's hand. 
Look, it's not that big of a deal, okay? I've got it. She glanced apologetically at Sam before carrying it out, out of harm's way. Sam caught Dorothy's gaze, which was stuck between proud and irked, and followed Agatha. The man had not gotten very far. He was spinning wildly, eyes wide, trying to find a familiar landmark from which to pull the direction. This far down Little Street can be disorienting if you're not sure where you've already been. For newcomers, it can be hard to tell what side of the road you're on. He saw Agatha come out of the house and approach him, with Sam following her, and he screamed. Stay back! Agatha held out her hands. It's okay, I'm not going to hurt you. He barked out a laugh. No, no, of course not, of course not. And what happened to the other one, hmm? What was brought here with, hmm? What did you do to him? Nothing! She was inching her way closer to him, bit by painfully small bit. I didn't do anything. He was almost with her arms reach. I promise. Liar! Liar! There's no- it was nothing! Something happened! He's gone, isn't he? He's gone because you fucking killed him, you monster! Agatha flinched, and the man's nervous movements brought him again far out of reach of her. He flitted about like a bird without magnets. Sam could tell that Agatha was getting frustrated. She could see the remnants of the surly young woman she once knew and the grab she made for the man's arm, changing tactics. He responded, understandably, by landing a short punch on her jaw. Sam didn't know what Agatha had expected would happen, but she seemed shocked. Then she reeled back, and, alight with rage, smashed the crushed steel orb into his head. Then again. Then again. Over and over, until this course resembled the mush that they did not eat. This was the second time that Sam had seen Agatha standing in the gore of what once had been a person she'd brought to her. Her breaths came hard and heavy. She heard her heart thumping in her ears. She felt her kneecaps wobble and almost betray her. And to look at Agatha, she could have sworn that she was feeling precisely the same. The dinner guest brushed past Agatha, patting her shoulders and looking in her eyes, murmuring reassurance. Sam couldn't tell if she was projecting, or if they weren't also a little horrified by what had happened. They gathered the remains, cleaned the road, and had it looking as though nothing had happened in a matter of seconds, making it clear that they had taken their sweet time with the first body. Kira came out and laid a hand on Sam's shoulder. They were quiet for a while. Don't worry about being accused of anything or anything. You're still safe. <laughs> this isn't good enough. You know that, right? Today wasn't good enough. Nothing about it was good enough. Why didn't you tell me that you had no plan? Like you said before, Kira murmured, Dorothy might have heard us. I still can't tell if she did. And you know what? I'm not entirely convinced it would have made a whiff of a difference. She was confident that we could not do anything, and she's right. I don't know if I agree. I spoke to Agatha earlier. She was convinced that nothing could be done, that it was bigger than all of us, and she's Dorothy's daughter. How can we argue with that? Just then, the two of them heard a rather indignant twittering sound. It was a robin, an unseasonable one. The pair of them eyed it. It had something in its beak. A little scrap of paper. 
It hopped towards them on the wall, impatient and insistent. Not really sure what to do, Kira took the paper, grimaced, and wiped a waxy substance on Sam's jacket. She unfolded it. Inside was scratched out the words, House Number 58. They looked at each other. It's not nothing. What's not? asked Mr. Irving. They both jumped. Nothing, Kira said hurriedly. That's profound. Nothing's not nothing, huh? He smirked. I just came out to say goodbye. You have a lovely home, but I'd hate to overstay my welcome. I hope you both have a lovely rest of your evening. But just before he took his first step to leave, his eye caught something across the street. He stopped and looked at it, a growing expression of something like satisfaction on his face. And then he broke into a full-toothed grin, revealing a mouth that, despite his humanness, did indeed betray far too many teeth for one mouth, and casually saluted to them before disappearing into the fast-falling light. You know, like neighbors do. Neighborly is distributed under a Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike 4.0 International License. Today's House was written by Matthew O.K. Smith, with dialogue editing by Kit Robson, soundscaping by Matthew O.K. Smith, music by Alex Schwartz, and art by Cloudy Apple Art. The narrator is voiced by Matthew O.K. Smith. Special thanks to Amy Dickinson for donating the sound of her actual jaw. To find out more, visit neighborlypod.card.co or follow us on social media at neighborlypod. If you enjoyed listening today, information on how you can support us will be included in the episode description. Most of all, we would appreciate it if you told a friend. Because they might tell a friend, and they might tell a friend, and who knows, eventually God might finally listen to us. Today's anonymous comment says, I have a crush on the narrator. No, you don't. Also, please make better decisions. Thanks for listening. Come back soon. No, of course you were. Still smoking, I see. <laughs> Still acting like I give a damn about your opinion. There's nobody here. Nobody here, just my imagination. Look, you either need to leave me alone or show yourself, because I'm not doing this. You don't even know what's coming. Don't worry. I promise in the end, it will be quick. You really don't see anything wrong with making a coke and mentos volcano in the dorm bathroom. Really? No. Nope. Listen to Seven of Hearts wherever you find podcasts.